0: Lisa and I had one of the best dinners we've ever had this week. It was so good. It was not at a restaurant. It was at the house of some friends. We knew they were good hosts. We knew that they would give us a good meal. But we just had no idea what we were in for. And um, we really didn't know that they could cook like this. Lamb cooked to perfection on the charcoal grill. Risotto, we watched you stir and stir and stir. And roasted vegetables charred on the outside and gooey sweet on the inside. I mean, it was just so good. Dessert, rhubarb, strawberry pie. Amazing. And I think the fun of it for us was not just good food, but also discovering something new about these friends. These are people that we've been friends with for a decade, and yet there's something new that we learned about them. There's always more to discover about one another. And it's, um, it's very instructive, I think. There's, there's this infinite possibility to grow closer to our friends, always more to discover about one another. that's the way relationships work, or at least it's the way they ought to work, right? We we know it can be difficult sometimes to know how to go deeper with friends, but the possibility always remains. And it's sad, isn't it, when schedules or circumstances or uh, other factors keep us from growing closer with one another, we get sometimes bored We lack curiosity. We get tired. We don't grow closer with one another. We know that's the way, that we know that's not the way we should be. We should always have that curiosity and that movement towards one another. And I think faith is like this, and faith can get stuck like this, especially when faith is presented to us as a formula that we should believe. This is very commonly how Christianity gets introduced to people, isn't it? Instead of framing faith as a vibrant relationship with God, it's presented as maybe a theological concept to master, or maybe a transaction to be completed. Once you get it, you're in. You're done. No need for further discovery. Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Great. Well, he's in there, (laughs) then. Very good. Have a great life. No more curiosity, is there? doesn't sound like much of a relationship, does it? Can you imagine a mom and dad who receive a little baby home to them and say, okay, you're here now, best of luck to you. Or friend, congratulations, you're my friend, let me know if you need anything. It's absurd, isn't it? Relationships are not meant to be static, they're they're supposed to be dynamic, especially One's relationship with Jesus, especially so. But there are these dark, centrifugal forces at work spinning us away, out into zero Kelvin, away from God, rather than towards Him, closer and closer to the sun. I can Im- imagine uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, he wrote screw tape letters, and his, uh, his senior demon, Screw Tape, writing to his apprentice wormwood, and say, here's another way to get them to leave the faith. Just convince your Christian patient to conceive of faith in terms of a concept to be mastered, or as something to accomplish, and his faith will be sealed. True faith is very much the opposite, it's meant to be a dynamic relationship with God, There's always potential for greater discovery, always the possibility to go deeper. And we're learning this as we walk with Abraham, chapter by chapter, bit by bit, deeper into relationship with God. We've been in this series for a couple of weeks. We'll continue on with it today in chapter 15. I want to rewind a little bit back to the beginning of the story. Um, and, And what it's teaching us is that faith is a journey that we begin with God and we stay on this journey forever. It's an eternal journey because it's a relationship. We never arrive, and that's perfectly okay. You never arrive in relationships. It's actually wonderful. There's always more to discover about the Lord. There's always opportunity to grow closer with the Lord. We heard in previous messages Abram's journey began in southern modern Iraq, pretty close to the Persian Gulf, pretty close to where the Tower of Babel was. And he journeyed northward 600 miles or so up into what is modern Turkey up in the mountains. That was just the beginning of the journey. We read at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12 uh, of how God called Abram. God spoke into the chaos and anarchy of that world just as he had done the beginning of creation. God speaks to Abram. God's voice comes out of the darkness and brings light to Abram. And God said, go forth from your land and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make a great nation of you. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who will bless you and I will curse those who curse you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. Just like in the original creation story, God once again spoke a new beginning into the world, speaking into the darkness, calling Abram into the light, whether or not God had encountered, or Abram had encountered God before. This was the beginning of his journey of faith, as the story is told. The Lord awakened him to faith and called him into relationship with Him. You tend to think of faith sometimes as a theological concept. And yet here it is presented in terms of relationship throughout the story. The start of the journey, there's the promise of God's blessings, and they are very material, aren't they? Or at least they're, they're the ways that we oftentimes think of them at first in terms of fame and fortune. You know, Abram was just another face in the sea of humanity, a no-name nobody, but God's blessings would make His name great and cause Him to flourish and grow so that he would be famous. Likewise, Abram was growing old. He had no sons, but God's blessings would transform him into a nation, and through his nation, all nations of the world would be blessed. But all these blessings weren't automatic. They required relationship. That's that's what would come. Just as in the creation story with Adam and Eve being called into relationship with God, called to be stewards over God's royal garden. Same thing happens here. Abram is called to go to work. Leave familiar and go forth to some new place. Go hundreds and hundreds of miles again into the unknown, but not alone with the Lord. In relationship with the Lord. Go to the land that I will show you, says God. We're going together. That's where and how the blessings would come. Through setting out and following the Lord, remaining in relationship with Him. So Abram set out. He and his wife Sarai and nephew Lot. The Lord somehow leading them. We're not told how. But we see Abram going on into Canaan and stopping at different places and worshiping the Lord, setting up altars and such. Going deeper in relationship as he encounters God on his journey. And clearly, it's not easy all the time. There are hardships. He has to flee because of the famine. He goes down into Egypt um, to escape the famine, and God is nevertheless with them there. God curses those who curse him and blesses those who bless him. And by the end of his sojourn in Egypt, Abram returns with Sheep and oxen and camels and donkeys and workers, a very wealthy sheikh in the Middle East. In fact, he's so wealthy, he has so many livestock that he and Lot are crowded for space back in Canaan. They have to part ways at the beginning of Genesis 13. And if you're unfamiliar with the geography of Palestine, you may not realize what a huge leap of faith Abram is taking as he parts ways. From Lot, because he says, which way do you want to go? I'll take the other way. And Lot says, I want the fertile green valley, the Jordan Valley. And Abram says, okay. Because by now he's been walking with the Lord, following the Lord for so long, he knows it's going to be okay. And see, so he goes up into the arid brown highlands. Not the place that a modern Israeli real estate agent would take you if you were looking for property. Not at all. Abram goes up, his relationship with God has grown and flourished to this point, that he's willing to trust the Lord, even in the rocky, brown, arid lands. And it's well chosen, as it turns out. Things go badly for Lot down there, we'll hear about that later, but for Abram, he continues to flourish. God blesses him with more and more livestock, and with more and more people. In his employ, by the end of Genesis 14, we heard some of this last Sunday. Um, Abram had an entourage of 318 loyal, trained soldiers, able to turn back a previously undefeated imperial force coming from the area of Babylon that swept through the Middle East, taking every country along its way, and then they come to Abram, <laughs> and they're defeated. 318 loyal soldiers. God curses those who curse Abram. He blesses those who bless him. And every step of the journey provides an opportunity to grow closer and closer in relationship with the Lord. Following God like this is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. Just as our gospel reading today gave us New window. These stories from the Old Testament are teaching us how to follow Jesus, and to be a Christian is to follow, to follow the Lord. You know, the earliest name for Christianity in the Book of Acts is the Way, because what it means to follow Jesus is to get on that road, to follow him as his disciples. It highlights how the first believers in the early church thought of what they were doing when they converted. They were on the way, just like the disciples had been. Not a theological formula to be mastered, but like those original disciples, following Jesus on the way, learning from him, growing in relationship with him, like Abram did when he followed God on his way. Every new leg of the journey of faith includes new opportunities to grow closer to the Lord. And most of the time, these opportunities require new leaps of faith, right? Often incrementally more challenging than the last leap of faith. They look scarier and scarier every time. But when you look back, you're like, oh, that last one wasn't so hard after all. That was not a very big leap. This one's scary, but I've learned to take these because I've been walking with the Lord, the relationship grows, the trust builds, and the blessings get better and better as the relationship grows stronger and deeper. In fact, what what you find on this journey is that God's greatest blessing is relationship. That's right at the heart of all of His blessings. It's Him. But learning to see that, learning to understand that can be a real test of faith. I think sooner or later, all relationships get tested in this way, don't they? Do you love me for me, or do you love me for my stuff? For my benefits, for my money, or for my help with math homework, or for great cooking, or whatever the benefits may be. In terms of our relationship with God, it's a question of how our hearts are being shaped by His blessings. Do we love God for who He is or for what He gives us? I can imagine this being another scheme that C.S. Lewis uh, would put in the words of Screwtape, writing to Wormwood. Just convince your Christian patient that what he has now, all that he has now, isn't enough and that God is holding back and his discontentment, his doubts, and will devour his faith, and his faith will be sealed. Brings us to Genesis chapter 15, our passage for today. By this point, Abram is old. He has been walking with God for a long time. He's worn through many sandals in his journey with the Lord on the way. Now he enjoys tremendous material prosperity and fabulous success as this great sheikh. So many of God's promises have come true, but one important one hasn't, and amidst all of his many blessings, it's this one missing blessing that's causing Abram to toss and turn at night. So the Lord comes to him in a vision, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 15, and says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward is very great. Indeed, it is already very great. He is a very wealthy man. After defeating the armies in the last chapter, he says, I don't need their plunder. In fact, he tithes 10% of his stuff to another king, the king of Salem. He is so wealthy. He's generous with his stuff. Abram was very, very wealthy. God had blessed him abundantly. Abram's reward was very great indeed. But, Screwtape whispers, what about that other thing? What about that other thing? What about God's promise to make you into a great nation? Abram and Sarai still have no biological offspring. It's becoming increasingly unlikely that it's even humanly possible. There are only these grown men that have been collected uh, all the entourage around Abram and, and there's one in particular that is heir if he were to die, Eliezer of Damascus the Syrian, that he's picked up, he's the first line of inheritance um, if, if Abram passes away so Abram takes his complaint to the Lord, verse 3, behold you have given me no offspring and he's right, God has given him hundreds, maybe thousands of oxen and sheep and camels and donkeys, he's given him At least 318 trained men, probably more, enough to to defeat the rising empire from the east. God has given them tremendous success, but God has not given Abram a son. Why not? Passage doesn't tell us explicitly. I'm inclined to say the reason is relationship. It's implicit in the rest of the chapter and in the rest of Abram's story on for many chapters. The Lord says, not Eliezer of Damascus, verse 4, he won't be your heir. Rather, you will have a son. And then verse 5, God takes Abram outside of the cave or the tent or wherever they were, takes him outside, look up at the stars and count them. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and God regarded him righteous by. It. It's arguably the most important line in the whole Abraham story. It is really the pivotal moment uh, everything turns on this particular line. Uh, it's Abram's response here was most critical for the rest of his journey. So, again, we're not explicitly told why God does not given Abram a son yet. But in the midst of so many blessings, this one notable exception, this one unfulfilled promise, was essential to Abram's further movement towards God in relationship. This was the next step to growing closer. It's part of this deeper conversion that comes for, for a man. From loving God for what he gives, loving God for who he is. God had provided for Abram so many other times, so Abram believed that God would provide again, this time in an even more demonstrably miraculous way because it looked like it would be impossible for his wife to have a child. Somehow God would do this impossible thing and give him a son. Abram believed the Lord and God regarded as righteous by it. This verse is one of the most quoted verses from the Old Testament in the New Testament that keeps showing up over and over again because it's so important. It's not just a part of Abram's journey. It's instructive for all of us, for everyone's journey of faith. We all learn from what happened here. It has to become a part of our story as well. We all have to come to the same place in our relationship with God sooner or later where where His essential provision, we have to have it, is yet to come. It's in the future. It's not with us yet. And we trust Him. We believe Him to be good to His word that He will provide. His word alone is sufficient to overcome our fear and our doubt. It's a point we all have to come to. And then just like with the promises we make to one another in human relationships, we say, I believe you. I believe you. Okay. Trust you. We weigh in a posture of hope. It does no good to say, I believe you, and then to immediately say to yourself, he'll never do it. not faith. That's doubt. That's a recipe for disaster in a relationship. I want to be clear. I'm going to talk about doubt for a moment. I want to be clear who I'm talking to as I talk about doubt. I'm talking to those of us who have been on this journey of faith for a while. I'm not talking to those of you who have no experience of God. If you have no experience of Him, if you're just dating God right now, and is not serious yet, well then you have your doubts, and rightly so. Makes sense? There's nothing wrong with having doubts. You haven't known His blessings, you haven't experienced the benefits of relationship with Him, you haven't felt His comfort when you're tossing and turning in the middle of the night. Of course you have your doubts, that's okay. And to be clear, I want to distinguish between prayer doubt. Uh, there are a couple of times in this story that Abram lifts prayers up to God asking for reassurance. Lord, what about? Hey, Lord, show me. That's not doubt. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God. In fact, we are taught to cry out to God over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, especially in the Psalms. Like most of the Psalms are, are teaching us. But what about really doubting God after you've been following Him for years? You can look back like Abram, you can see God's hand in the provision of many, many blessings. But now there's something that remains something unfulfilled, something that God has promised and yet not delivered, and it brings you to a crossroads. Will you put your trust in the Lord? for this as well. For what you doubt. I've heard preachers say that it's really good to doubt all the time because that's authentic and real. I think that's terrible advice because of what James says in the New Testament. He begins his letter saying this, counter all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, unstable in all these ways. James grew up hearing the story of Abram over and over and over again. It shaped the way he thought about faith and about doubt. He knows from Abram's story, and James knows from his own testing, that the testing of our faith produces good fruit. It produces steadfastness and so on. So he warns people of faith Again, people who have been on this journey with God, you've worn out some sandals walking with Him. If this is your story, He warns you, He warns you, don't do it. Don't doubt you'll be driven and tossed like the waves in the sea. Doubt doesn't do you any good. You're already far along on your journey with God. He's brought you this far. What are you going to do? Turn back? Go back? Start over? Really? Don't do it. Don't be double-minded and unstable, he says. Keep following him on the journey. Trust him to supply all your needs. According to his infinite riches and power, you've already seen so much of that. Trust him for what remains. He will deliver you, even if it costs him everything, which is what the rest of this chapter is all about. Starting verse 7, God makes another spectacular promise to Abram, guaranteeing that someday Abram will also possess the land. Abram says, for saying another prayer, he says, How shall I know that I will possess it? And once again God gives Abram this very powerful sign, has him take some of the fruit of his his uh, of God's blessings, go get these animals five clean animals, animals that will become part of the sacrificial system under the law of Moses. Go get these animals and slaughter them and lay them out in a line. Abram does this, and then once again, God reveals himself to Abram at night. This time he appears as he will appear in the Exodus. He appears like, like fire and smoke, and he passes between the pieces. What does this mean? We can read other covenant treaties from the ancient world from from that period and learn that this is a covenant ritual that's being made between God and Abram. The the thing that's being acted out with the fire and smoke passing through the animals is a, a very graphic version of cross my heart and hope to die, basically. In other words, I swear that just as these animals are torn in half, I will tear myself in two if that's what it takes for me to keep my word. But in this case, only God passes through the pieces. Abram rests, he slumbers, is what the text says. Abram slumbers while God stakes his own life on fulfilling the promises of the covenant. It's fitting in that it portrays what's going to happen over the next several hundred years. Abram will live to see a son, but he will not live to see all of this land in his possession. That is yet to come. It will come as his descendants grow. Abram will go to sleep with his fathers, as the Lord says here. And God's blessings will continue to grow. Oftentimes, this is the way it is. God's blessings are so enormous that we will not live to see everything that is going to come to pass. And we too, very likely, will sleep before we see all of His blessings in our lives. In Abram's case, he saw the miraculous birth of Isaac, but thankfully, no, he did not endure 400 years of slavery no, he did not endure 40 years in the wilderness and the crazy judges' period. And eventually, it did come to pass momentarily during the reign of Solomon that God's kingdom expanded to reach all of these places to the Euphrates and to the Mediterranean Sea, up into Turkey and down to Egypt. It did come to pass, but it was only for a moment, and then the sin of Solomon and all of the people caused all of these blessings to collapse in on themselves because what was Solomon's problem? He loved God for his stuff and not for relationship. But God kept his promises even in exile. God kept his promises even if it cost him his own life. This is the journey of faith with the Lord. God's people watch and wait for a Messiah, a new son of David and Solomon, who will restore the kingdom, and when he comes, he comes to fulfill the the covenant that God made, cross his heart, and hope to die. The Lord has blessed us so richly. Don't listen to these whispers of scrutiny prompting you to doubt God's generosity and love in your life. If you've been on this journey with him, you know how good he is. There's so much more yet to come, more to discover about him and more to enjoy with him, in relationship with him. That's what he's calling, that's what faith is all about. He's calling you to know him in this way infinitely more to experience a relationship with him. We sing that after 10,000 years, it will still be like the very first day of morning. We'll still have no less days to sing his praise and to know him in relationship with him. The death of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, guarantees it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this this gift of faith in Abram. And for us, the same gift that you would make us kings and queens in your service. Bless us richly. And most of all, that you would draw us close to you in a relationship. Thank you that we have forever to grow in knowing you and following you. And we pray for your help to do so in Jesus' name.